Ready to learn why cash flow and compassion are not mutually exclusive? Each week, brand strategist, speaker, and author Maria Ross will introduce you to the trailblazing brands and leaders who embrace empathetic tactics to reap huge rewards. You'll learn about winning teams, brand wins and fails, unforgettable customer experience, and bold leadership decisions fueled by compassion. You'll get the latest trends and research, discover practical ways to infuse more empathy into your work and life, and hear from innovative market leaders who've smashed outdated models and redefined success. Welcome to the Empathy Edge podcast, the show that proves empathy isn't just good for society, it's great for business. Effective marketing is all about empathy. It's about understanding who you serve, knowing them so well that you can design solutions that fit their needs and speak to their aspirations and values. More and more, companies are learning that simply bragging about your features and functions is not enough. Customers want real value. They want a story and a brand they can believe in, and they want to do business with a company that lives its values inside and out. They care about what's under the hood more than ever before. So how does a modern marketing leader make the time to stay connected to changing customer needs under all the constant pressure? And just how important is it for a company to be guided by purpose and values to not only attract the right customers, but the right talent? Today's guest, Gina Hortatsos, Chief Marketing Officer of LogicGate, shares with us how empathy and culture helped attract her to her company and exactly how they leverage values, purpose, and positive leadership models to create a high-performing team that's shaking up a traditional industry. She's also going to share with us how her team makes time to stay connected to customer needs and how you can too. Gina is the Chief Marketing Officer at LogicGate, an agile governance, risk, and compliance process platform. A self-described servant leader, Gina brings 22 years of enterprise software marketing leadership experience to LogicGate. Prior to LogicGate, Gina served as VP of Marketing at Four Kites, Inc., where she built and scaled the marketing function for a high-growth startup. Outside of the office, Gina loves to cook, read, and travel, though not currently. She lives in Chicago with her husband, Mike, and their three sons. We had a fantastic conversation, and it's not to be missed. Take a listen. Welcome, Gina. I'm so excited to have this conversation with you today on the Empathy Edge. Thank you so much for having me, Maria. I'm thrilled to be here. So I would love to hear a little bit about LogicGate and your role there as CMO and how you define your role there as CMO. And also, what drew you to the company? Because I think that the culture piece is super important, especially for our show's purposes. So I'd love for you to tell that story. Thank you. Our boilerplate in our PR documents talk about LogicGate as a leading GRC process automation uh, SaaS-based platform that helps customers take their disorganized risk and compliance programs and and turn them into um, agile process applications. And all of that is 100% true. Uh, When we talk about LogicGate amongst ourselves, we talk about the power that technology can have to transform the working lives of the people who use it. And we work with people who carry the weight of the world on their shoulders. Their job is to prevent their companies from being the next headline for a data breach. Yeah. Um, their job is to manage risk in such a way that the company knows what their risk is so that they can take better, make better decisions about what risks they should be taking. 
we talk about these, you know, big words and governance, risk and tech and, and compliance, but what it really is, is making sure that you give the executive team, the board, the right information on what risks are being managed at what level so that the company can make better strategic decisions. And that really does transform the lives of the people in the company. It helps to drive more profitable decision-making. So that's who we are and that's what we try to do every day. I love it. How do you see your role there as CMO? I see my role as CMO as being a driver of that change. This is an industry that's old and it's huge. And one of the aha moments I had early on is that business people, people like me who have a budget and a team and do marketing are actually responsible for a lot of the risk in the company. Mm-hmm. We managed personal data. Uh, we have a website that could potentially get hacked. And my platform within this whole thing is to really help business people understand that risk is not just the business of the risk managers. Right. Risk is everyone's business. And the appropriate uh, management of that risk is uh, really important to understand and to care about and to carve out some time to manage and mitigate appropriately. So that's kind of my external face. My internal face as CMO is to work with not only my team, but across the business to help drive forward the why of what we do. The why of what we do is what fuels us. We have the Logic Gate Golden Circle and laminated posters all over our (laughs) office, which has been vacant for months. But every company meeting starts out with our Golden Circle, the center of which is the why, which is (laughs) bringing technology that can transform people's lives. It's why you get up in the morning. It gives everybody a sense of purpose. And it's been an honor and a privilege to be doing that for the better part of a year. I love that you said a big part of your role as CMO is to work across the organization. And I'm putting words in your mouth, but building those bridges across the organization to help everyone stay true to that purpose. And not only do marketers have to strengthen their empathy to be able to market effectively to prospects, and to serve customers, but there's the empathy on the inside that is an art for many marketers and to enable them to do their jobs. I mean, I remember when I was on the client side, one of my strengths that I didn't call empathy at the time was just to get to know the sales engineers, get to know the technologists, get to know how the product actually worked from the people that built it so that I could market it effectively. And then also to serve sales because they were my constituent, they were my stakeholders and to try to understand their world. And I did another interview with another former CMO, now GM of a company who said, you know, having had sales experience also made him a better marketer because salespeople felt like he really understood their world and they felt like they were true partners. So I think you even being cognizant and articulating that, that your role as CMO is to build those bridges across the organization is pretty powerful. Absolutely. Uh, We give an onboarding presentation to all new hires and we typically have a mixed set of roles in the room at any given time. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I try to reinforce with everybody is Regardless of what your job is, if you're an office manager, if you code, if you're in the trenches with customers all day, 
it is so important to understand who the humans are that are buying our software and using our software. It's so important to understand what market trends that drive us to hold these conversations with our customers and what they tell us mm-hmm. that we can impart into every member of our organization so we can have aligned understanding of why we come to work every day, who that chief risk officer is, who is that compliance officer who literally at first blush is just the person that is, you know, the person that makes sure that everybody reads the company handbook, but there's a reason that Mm -hmm. they have to do that. What are those reasons? It's such an important part of the job. And it's also so rewarding because, you know, a lot of times, especially the engineers, they aren't customer facing normally. And when I put our persona documents up there and we actually talk through not only those attributes, but I'm able to tell specific stories of customers that I've either spoken to or that we've, you know, we, we listen to gong calls, we listen to our sales calls and I hear the way they're asking questions and putting it into context. Mm-hmm. I believe that it makes their job more fun, more interesting, mm-hmm. and also gives them a route from which they, they can you know, derive some motivation. I love that. Um, tell me a little bit about the culture of the company, because, you know, in our pre-call for this interview, you shared some amazing information around what drew you to the company and the culture. And, you know, that's what I talked about a lot in my book was the fact that empathetic cultures mm-hmm. are attracting top talent and you are proof of that. So can you, can you share a little bit about the culture there and what drew you to it? And maybe what are some of the success secrets that can be gleaned from that? Sure. Uh, the first time I met the CEO of LogicGate, he reached out to me on LinkedIn. Um, and the only reason I took the meeting was because, heck, he was a CEO of a startup in Chicago that had already received a bunch of awards. And he asked me to meet, even if I wasn't interested in joining his firm, that he'd love to pick my brain on his first big CMO hire. How could I turn that down? And so I took the meeting because of the networking opportunity Mm -hmm. and we had coffee and he explained to me the way in which he crafted his golden circle of why we do what we do. He talked to me about the core values that he wrote for the company when it was just for three or four people Mm -hmm. around the team, the team, the team, be as one, empower customers, own it. And every single word that he said about their core values, I was like, I want to hear the next one. I want to hear the next one. It's amazing. (laughs) And I almost didn't believe it. I'm like, come on. Like every single value that you just rattled off is something that I hold personally and professionally so near and dear. It's like the way I want to live my life, Mm -hmm. let alone the way I want to operate at work, Mm -hmm. that I was compelled to learn a little bit more, even though I really wasn't looking for a new opportunity. Mm -hmm. I came in and I met everybody. You know, after a couple of rounds of interviews, I thought, you know, this company is playing in an old and established and and the surface kind of a boring space mm-hmm. uh, that I've I've actually seen and marketed before. But I kind of got to be a part of it. I yeah. kind of got to see if if they really are putting in their money where their mouth is, and if that's true, wow, mm-hmm. it could be transformational. Not necessarily because only because. Our product is a, a very innovative way of, of solving our customer problems mm-hmm. but because if every human shows up each day with these core values in mind and living the core values, and if we can like figure out how to reinforce that, even as we grow, 
wow, yeah. it could be really transformational, not only to our customers, but the, to the people who get to work in this business. I've been in enterprise software for a quarter of a century now. Gosh, <laughs> holy cow. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've never seen a culture like this. Uh, so holistic. You know, I think sometimes we're lucky because we're small because mm-hmm. um, we can still sort of, you know, you mm-hmm. know, every single person's name, you yeah. uh, know a little bit about their family. When we were all in the office, you were seeing everybody kind of all at once. I am also very encouraged by the fact that we've grown in terms of headcount by a full third since I started. Mm-hmm. And we've been able to not only maintain that core, but we've actually been able to enrich it. We use the phrase in culture ad and we talk about hiring new people. We use our core values as uh, scorecard materials for new, va- for new hires um, to make sure that the people we bring in, everybody's different, but the people bring in, like, they got to be excited about this stuff. They got to be excited right. about these core values and they have to want to put intentionality and effort into living them every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's really fun to work in an environment like that. And the other thing too is, you know, we've been home for almost eight months. Uh, I was reading an article the other day about this concept of surge capacity mm-hmm. and how the human brain uses like the surge capacity reserves to get through temporary times that are really, really tough. Mm-hmm. And most of us have been operating with some level of surge capacity for seven months mm-hmm. and how important it is to like recognize that and build up those reserves. If you're not working in a culture that is strong, empathetic, And the executives and leadership of whom try to embody those core values every single day, Mm -hmm. I tell you, your reserves will run out a lot quicker. It'll be a lot harder to go to work every day. So we've been really drawing on and leaning into our core values in very practical ways to make sure that our teams know that they're supported, Mm -hmm. um, to make sure that we are modeling the type of behavior, the type of vulnerability that we know our teams are experiencing too. And everything from reciting our core values in our weekly team huddles to our CEO, Matt, now puts out a a Matt's midweek message every Wednesday. And in every single one, he talks about the concept of charity and grace and, hey, I'm having a bad week. I'm moving. Things aren't going well. And I just want you to know that if I seem a little checked out, that's why. Being willing to admit your humanity being able to model vulnerability Mm -hmm. and recognizing the fact that any given person could show up differently depending on the time of day, Mm -hmm. depending on, you know, it's, it could be something as practical as someone on my team saying, I've got an analyst call in 10 minutes. My daughter just spiked a fever and all of us swooping in to figure out what the coverage is Mm -hmm. something a little bit more subtle, like proactively asking the question, how are you doing today? Is there any way that you need me to support you? How do you want me to show up for you? Mm -hmm. Because even with one person, it could be different Mm -hmm. um, by day. Mm -hmm. Um, We're all going through a common, very rough experience. And it really is up to the leadership team. And I think it's so important to ask the right questions, to communicate effectively, and also to not be afraid to model that vulnerability. I mean, last week I showed up at our team meeting and I was like, guys, I'm not feeling it. (laughs) Someone tell me a joke. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) If I seem a little checked out, it has nothing to do with you. Right. I just didn't sleep well. 
everybody gets a chance to have a bad day, but being able to admit it, I think is, um, it takes a little bit of, uh, you got to just have to take a deep breath and admit that it's not the most fun thing to do, but I think it meant a lot to the team. Yeah. And I think that theme comes up over and over again, because the whole idea is to create that culture where empathy, vulnerability, trust, respect is not just talked about, but it's modeled so that people know they have permission, right? That if, if the CEO or the CMO is being vulnerable and saying, I'm not having a great day, they know it's okay that they can say that too. And I think we lose a lot of that because so many people have this misperception of leadership as that means I have it all together. That means I know all the answers. That means I'm on a hundred percent of the time. And unfortunately, I don't know where we got to this point that we equate being vulnerable or being human or being emotional with weakness. Right. And, but I've seen, I like to call it confident vulnerability because there are leaders doing exactly what you and your leaders at logic gate are doing where they're saying, I'm just admitting it. I'm calling it what it is. And I'm calling it out because I know everyone's feeling it now. Once it's out in the open, we, you know, we sort of declare the elephant in the room. Now we can get onto business because no one feels like they have to hide anything. And so to me, that's actually more confident and more strong to be able to do that. I'm wondering if you have a theory of why so many leaders are loath to do that, to to say that, oh, well, that's going to equate to me looking like I don't have my act together. Do you have a theory on that? My theory is it's very, uh, or it used to be very American. I'm also Gen X. So Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, when I was a young marketer, I was the only woman in the room all the time. All the time. They forget about it. And that very American. Individualistic. Yeah. Very um, macho is the word that comes to mind. Uh The best word, but show no weakness, radical accountability, you know, own it, own it, own it. Okay. You know, I'll play along. So I I believe that a lot of it, I mean, that's how I grew up. Mm -hmm. And one of the wonderful things about the very long career (laughs) tenure I've had is seeing how it's evolved. Mm -hmm. Um, I head up our diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging committee at Logic Gate. Mm -hmm. And when we met to create a charter statement for our group, we spent a lot of time on it. And I don't have it in front of me, but where it fleshed out at is that we wanted to make sure that everybody at Logicate felt like at all times that they could bring their authentic and whole selves to work. Right. And when we read that, what struck me was, you know, for decades, I absolutely could not do that. I could not do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You show weakness, you not show vulnerability. Right. You don't there, was, there was work you and personal you. And, and there was and it, a dividing line. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And now those lines are blurred anyway, but it's mm-hmm. been so refreshing because you don't have to worry about really where people stand. People are bringing their authentic selves to work. At least mm-hmm. the logic they are. And I love it. I can't get enough of it. I want to know. <laughs> right. Having trouble in school. I want to know if, you know, it's share with me what you want to share with me, but right. It helps me because I'm an empath. Mm-hmm. It helps me understand the whole well-rounded picture mm-hmm. so that I know how to support you or I know how to rally the troops to make sure that the business 
goals get accomplished, even if you're not doing great that day, even if there's something going on. Yeah. It makes my job so much easier that my team and our extended team truly feel like they can bring their authentic selves to work because it gives us a, a constant calibration that we don't, we wouldn't have it otherwise. Well, and it, you know, if you look at it purely tactically, if you strip all the emotion out of it, someone who's very logical and driven, it's like, why wouldn't you want to have all the information you could have about what is going on with your team so that you could more effectively lead them and so that they could more effectively perform? Like, even if you just look at it, forget like the humanity or the morality or the kindness aspect of it, you know, it's sort of like what I'm trying to do with the book of like Trojan horsing people into the idea of being more empathetic, like just look at it purely from the ability to lead effectively is like who, you know, who goes into battle, not really knowing the whole map, the whole landscape of the charge. This is a really bad analogy, but you know what I'm saying? Like you, you want to have as much information as you can so that you can make the right decisions. Talk about mitigating risk, right? There was a time when we were trained to not ask questions because you didn't want it to be a, li- a liability for the company. Right. You wouldn't want a, uh, an employee to feel like they were pressured to divulge some kind of deep medical dark secret or other yeah. that you weren't allowed. So you were basically trained mm-hmm. in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. You, none of my business. Exactly. You work, you do your job and right. you know, don't ask, don't tell. I'm not here to make friends. I'm yeah. That whole friends. thing. Yeah. Um, and so I, I do think that that is, and continues to change. I don't think it's completely flushed out, mm-hmm. um, but I know certainly at Logic Ape, it is so refreshing to know that my team trusts leadership and trust each other enough to show up and, and be vulnerable. And it helps us be a better team and it drives more trust too. Right. Which drives all the other benefits, right? When you're free of the, the, all that crap of worrying about all the other stuff, you actually can focus on the work. You can innovate, you can create, you're not, you're not paralyzed by fear or dread or, you know, oh, this doesn't align with my values. I don't feel like I can be who I am in my mind. I just see this vision of just literally taking the shackles off. Yes. And letting them just go, letting them be and go and invent and innovate and, and do all the things you want them to do, which is why you hired them. Exactly. You know, marketing has a lot more science to it these days because of the availability of data Mm -hmm. and technology, but there's a lot of freeform jazz that still goes on. Yeah. (laughs) And there's a lot of brainstorming and there's a lot of like false paths that we go down in our brainstorming. And if you don't have everybody showing up Mm -hmm. and being unafraid to say something that, you know, the next day they might be like, well, that was dumb. Right. Right. You're not going to, you're actually not going to get the genius out of them. Right. Um, And so making sure that the team is unafraid and feeling that they can be authentic has been gold for me in my experience. That's so great. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit to talk about, I feel like you and I have had parallel tracks (laughs) of marketing careers about the same length. So You've been in marketing now a while in various leadership roles. You've been very successful. You and I had this conversation in a pre-call. We all talk about marketing needing to be empathetic with prospects, needing to be the voice of the customer, needing to connect with them. But there's the theory of that and the reality of that, that stops it from effectively happening. So for example, just the pressure of quarterly sales or the pressure of trying to appease the analysts or the press or whomever Mm -hmm. that gets the actual purity of 
like, let's just speak to the customer in a language that is compelling and unique and is exactly what they need to hear and is the voice inside their head. Why do you think that is? And how do you balance that? How do you, how do you balance the, the effect, you know, the quote unquote effective way to do marketing and to market to people and to connect with them, genuinely connect with them, not lying to them, but what I say, elevating the truth of your story. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that? Because some some of that takes time. Yeah. And it takes trust to build, you know, a brand building is a, is a is a time factor, is a trust factor. How do you balance that with like, no, we need to go say this in the market because our competitor is saying in the market. And if we right. don't say it, how do you balance those things? Yeah. I believe that most marketers are at their core empathetic and people pleasers. Mm-hmm. Uh, my personal journey, I, I originally was going to be a, a counselor. I was a psych major in college and I was going to go and get my master's in social work and you know, we're, life zagged and I ended up getting an MBA instead and I wound up in marketing. But the common theme was the superpower of empathy mm-hmm. and, a, and an obsession with understanding how people think and what makes them tick. And what drives them. And what drives them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If I could... I would take every single customer and potential buyer out for a cup of tea Mm -hmm. and just, I'd want to know what their family was like. I would want to know what they do on the weekend Mm -hmm. (laughs) just so I could get a whole well-rounded picture of that whole person. And that is uh, the blessing and the curse of an empathetic person. Right. An empathetic person knows intuitively the humanity behind a purchase decision mm-hmm. and the fact that people actually buy with their heads and their hearts. And they also know intuitively that every human is different. Every human might be different by the day. So how the heck do you make that scale? And how the heck do you deal with the reality that you have to be search engine optimized and that <laughs> uh, competitors chomping at your heels. So right. Or you have to speak the language of the analysts or whatever the yes. case may be. And the fact yeah. that you work for a software company and every software company has this gravitational pull of product first messaging. We built this beautiful thing. Let's go tell the market about our beautiful thing because people mm-hmm. have to care about their beautiful thing because we built it because it's beautiful. <laughs> they, they actually don't care. We know that. <laughs> so the way we balance it and it has shifted even more during the COVID time. I think mm-hmm. that if you talk to other marketers, they'll say the same, helping that selling in the early days. And then, you know, really trying to listen more closely to what customers needed and making a more concerted effort. But the way we balance that is by listening. And we have operationalized our listening on a couple of fronts. We use our customer advisory board. Uh, we are always looking at search terms because depending on the intent, um, they will ask questions in search or they will make statements in search. So understanding that nuance and how to interpret that nuance so that we can continue to search engine optimize, but also use the language that mirrors what that person's journey is. Mm-hmm. And we test all the time. Uh, we test all the time. Before COVID, some of our ads that performed really well had different flavors of terms to them and intent than they do today. Mm. Buyer behavior has shifted. Mm-hmm. Uh, their, people's reticence to take a meeting or get on the phone is tangible right mm-hmm. now. 
And our answer to that is to continue to serve relevant, interesting content in the places where they go to find information and not necessarily sit back on our laurels and wait, but it's taking more content touches to get people mm-hmm. to convert. So very practically listening through our mechanisms and you know, social media listening is another example, being able to take that in and having an operating cadence where we review that stuff mm-hmm. and codify it and then retranslate it into market messaging is one way. We're also in our planning process for next year as are probably many of your listeners And we are, as many of your listeners are probably also doing, is refreshing our persona insights and our buyer journey artifacts so we can refresh our messages and make sure that we are really leading with what's interesting and relevant right now to our Mm -hmm. buyers. And we're adding, so as part of that process, we're doing surveys and interviews with representative buyers in our market. But we're adding a couple of questions this time that we haven't before, and they have to do with what's your favorite podcast? Uh, what are your favorite hobbies? We want to get to know these people as humans a little bit more. Absolutely. And so we're not going to be putting in references to rugby or random hobbies in our messaging, but I believe that reviewing the results of these interviews and these surveys and throwing in just a couple of questions that helps to bring out the humanity in our buyer, Mm -hmm. bring out more humanity in our writing, we'll bring out more humanity in our content. It just happens that way. I, I can't even describe it. But yeah, when I talked to our customer advisory board last week or two weeks ago, and I got, almost got more good out of the little 15-minute break where people were just talking about what they'd done over the weekend and you know, one person had just moved house, then I almost got out of the product roadmap discussion we had because I found it so fascinating, mm-hmm. you know, the discussions we were having about working and personal life and how the lines are blurred and how mm-hmm. common those experiences are across people. So yeah, um, testing, listening, and above all, flipping that from this is what we do so you can mm-hmm. to you can and this is how we help. Exactly. Starting with you versus I. You know, that's the thing I go in to clean up brand stories is I provide, we offer, we sell great. What are they actually trying to do? Right. (laughs) It's, and, and, you know, I push them in these workshops till finally somebody gets mad at me and they blurt out, well, because then they get to do this. And I was like, that's it. Now you've just flipped from I to the customer's point of view. Yeah. the, The sentence used to be the, what, the, how, the, why, and now it's the, why, the, how, and the, what. Exactly. Right. Hook them with that. But I I wanted to go back to this thing that you were talking about, which was really making the customers real, because that's why, you know, for example, in my work with brand strategy, that's why we do those ideal customer personas, because just knowing you target women between the ages of 25 and 65 is, is too big of a target to shoot for. But if you can make this person real, like you're saying, you give them back their humanity so you can find stories and content and social media posts and blog posts and videos that actually resonate with a real person. Yeah. And it won't only resonate with that one person. That's often what I get back from clients too. It's just how that person thinks. And so you, you become a much more connective brand. Your messaging lands 
more conversationally. It lands more connectedly with that prospect or that buyer it than does. if you're just spewing a bunch of features and functions at them to try to, to try to be the, you know, the greatest, I'm trying to reach the most people that I can with this message. When you try to be all things to all people, you end up being nothing to no one is something that I always say. And so I think the importance of understanding that humanity, it, it happens every time I do that project with clients in that they're like, why are we doing this? Why are we asking about like what restaurants they go to? Or like, I don't know. I don't know where they get their information. I don't know. I'm like, just be creative, put your screenwriter hat on, think of the best customer you have. And if you could get a thousand more customers like that person, just knowing that it gives you someone real when you are writing content, when you are writing advertising copy, when you're writing website copy, when you're writing sales pitches for as often as people that are outside of marketing don't see the value of that right away. They're often so thankful they've went, they've gone through that exercise when you're done with it it clicks and they're like, oh, okay, I see how this can apply to all these different situations. And more and more buyers of technology are millennial. And that generation doesn't tolerate inauthenticity Mm -mm. the way that maybe previous generations kind of eye rolled and did, right? They care about what's under the hood more than millennials and Gen Z. The data shows that they care. They care about not just what your product does. They care about what your culture's like. They care about how you treat your suppliers, how you treat your supply chain, how you treat the community. And we could, you know, you and I are both Gen X. We can say this, like that wasn't something I considered when I was 17 years old and looking to buy products. I just cared about if I wanted it or not. You know, 10 years ago, you didn't see questions like that in RFP documents either. Now you do. Yeah. Right. And I believe it's making the world of marketing better. Yeah. The fact that this is a generation that actually cares more about mm-hmm. buying from someone they know and they like and they trust. Because I think it actually forms a better relationship early on. It makes it more likely that as a provider to you, because you've done this extra vetting and because I've been able to prove to you that our company actually stands behind. Um, what we say we do in terms of social responsibility and our culture, it makes it more likely that you will trust me as a business partner. And that becomes mutually profitable mm-hmm. early on and, and to a greater extent, I think. So as kind of a final question, you know, we talked a lot about the importance of, of staying connected to the customer. And, and it sounds like your team at LogicGate is doing a great job with, with all the ways that they're staying in touch with the customer, finding out what's relevant to them. I don't know that every company does that. I don't know that every company spends the time in the fast pace of just needing to crank out the next campaign, crank out mm-hmm. the next thing. So what piece of advice could you give to both a marketing leader who can have some sway in that decision, but also is up against the pressures from the CEO or the CFO, but also just maybe a mid-level marketer, a marketing director or a VP, what advice would you give them to try to make that space and that time for getting that feedback and staying in that lockstep with a customer, given the pressures. My advice would be to put it in the calendar, block two hours a month, invite whoever you think can bring a part of that voice of the customer to that conversation and make the desired goal at the end of that two hours to be are we going to walk out of here with a better understanding of our customers than we had before? 
And what are the next steps to seed that into all the things we need to seed it into? Right. Some of the insights that we, that we glean from our customers are really valuable for product roadmap conversations. Some of them are way more valuable for sales enablement and how we have, you know, tailored talk tracks for our, our BDR team. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't block it out on your calendar and actually make it intentional mm-hmm. and put an operating cadence around it, it will never get done. It's mm-hmm. like, it's like an exercise routine. You know, it's one of the most important things to do to maintain yeah. and you have to keep doing it. And it has to be a habit. But as soon as you get busy with the tyranny, the urgent going around you, it's the first thing to get dropped. Mm-hmm. And my plea is that if you, if you block that time on your calendar for two hours a month and you hold that sacred, you don't let people block over it. You don't, you know, use that time to go to Costco. You actually <laughs> use that time with yeah. the intentional goal of better understanding your customers so you can serve them better. Mm-hmm. That equates to two hours a month, 24 hours a year, and you will leapfrog where you are today if you're not doing anything at all. I love it. What a great note to end that on. Thank you so much for this conversation. So many good nuggets to take away. And it's it's so heartening to hear of a culture like Logic Gates that's doing such good things in terms of internal culture, emotional intelligence, leadership modeling. Like this is this is the whole point of this podcast is to shine a light on leaders and companies that are doing this this way so that we make them the norm, not the outliers. So tell us how we can find out more about Logigate and also how people could connect with you. What's the best way? Yeah, please visit us on our website. And I am on LinkedIn, Gino Hortatsos. My name is really hard to spell, but maybe you'll have credits in the beginning. H-O-R-T-A-T-S-O-S. Um, and please, yeah, I, if, if uh, anybody, if anything resonates with anybody, I'm share, here to share best practices, templates, failures. I have more of those than I can count. I just incorporated a new part of my weekly team meeting where we talk about our, our best failures. And, uh, I, I shared a lot today that, um, that I was hoping I could forget for the rest of my life, but the team seemed to really appreciate it. I like it. Um, the most spectacular fails section of the meeting. I like that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I could not, I still can't believe they didn't fire me after this one, but it was years ago. So apparently, apparently I thought it was worse. They always, they're always horrible at the time, but they make great stories when you're in leadership positions. I'm I'm actually turning red thinking about it right now. (laughs) Well, people will have to connect with you on LinkedIn to find out what that is. Find out what my failure is. I know exactly. Thank you so much for your time, Gina, and for the conversation. Absolutely. Maria. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Empathy Edge. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to share the show with others who want to redefine success and change the game. For more on how empathy makes you and your brand more successful, visit TheEmpathyEdge.com. There, you can download a free guide outlining five business benefits of empathy and a free sample chapter of Maria's book, The Empathy Edge. Until next time, remember that a more empathetic world starts with you and leads to tremendous success. Mm-hmm.